Well, good morning, Fairhaven Church. It is good, 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 good to see you. And uh, welcome to all of our campuses that are joining us. And uh, Classics, Beaver Creek, Springboro, Northmont, and right here at Centerville, it's good to be together. Would you help me? Uh, I know Beaver Creek already whooped and hollered over there, because every time somebody from the state says Beaver Creek, they do that. So thanks, guys. But let's just welcome each other uh, via just applause. Because, guys, we're one church in a lot of locations, and uh, I do want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's great to be here. If you don't know who I am, my name is Levi, and uh, I do serve in our, at our Beaver Creek campus as uh, the campus pastor there, and I get to bring uh, a message to you this morning, and I hope God will use it in your life. As we continue in this series called One-on-One, uh, we're just going to imagine ourselves talking to Jesus. I hope you've been putting yourself in the shoes of all the different people we've been talking about, because the real people uh, that talked with Jesus one-on-one, and we get that opportunity as well as we pray. Doug talked about that a little bit last week, but today we're going to be looking at um, a guy who had a one-on-one relation or one-on-one conversation with Jesus, and it honestly didn't turn out the way I would think it would go. Um, and I want to know uh, what that is. I hope you do as well. Today we're talking about Jesus and our achievements. If we're going to sit down and have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus about our achievements, what would it look like? What would it be like to sit down with him and say, God, I've done all of these things? Well, it's really cool because God actually had a conversation around that topic with a specific person in the Bible. We don't know his name, but we do know a bunch about him. We're going to talk about it today. But I want to start with asking you a question. At all of our campuses and online, I want to ask you this question. What is the greatest accomplishment in your life? The greatest accomplishment in your life. What would you say it is? I, I, I mean, you probably have something that pops into your mind really fast. I know whenever I was uh, a kid, I was in middle school, and I wanted to be a basketball player. Now, do I look, I, maybe the screens, you know, the, the, do I look like I could play basketball? Um, oh, thank you. Uh, whoever said that, I really, I really like you. Um, here's the deal. I thought I could be the next LeBron James, right? Like I went to the Y every day in middle school because I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot threes. I was like, I will never be able to dunk. I don't have the vertical, all right? But I would shoot threes all day just trying. And I spent an entire summer break, all right? If you're in middle school and you're doing this right now, keep going. You can do it, all right? But I went, and I went from being able to do like one out of 10, you know, three-pointers to doing like all summer, shooting every day at the YMCA, faithful, going to do the discipline. I got up to three out of 10. All right. So that, that dream died pretty fast, but I thought maybe, okay, I might not be able to be pro in this, but maybe I'll have, maybe I'll have the best three point shot of all my friends. Then one of my friends who actually played basketball for like a team showed up one time to like, you know, play like some pickup with us and just crushed it. Like every time, just, just every one of them. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to give up on this dream, you know, but do you have goals in your life? What are they? What is your greatest accomplishment? You know, it has transitioned in my life to many different things. Maybe it has for you. That was when I was in middle school. Um, I was trying to say like I had some academic goals. You might have some of those. Maybe for you it is. For me, it's kind of hard to struggle. You know, I kind of struggle with uh, my academic career. I was really going for that 4.0, but there was like a two something in there. Um, 
So I was lucky to get that 3.0 to just get, you know, my parents were like, if you have a 3.0, you can, you know, drive the car, we'll pay for your insurance because it gives us a discount. So I was like, I was real lucky to get that. I had to pay for insurance a couple times. All right. But maybe you've had that goal. Uh, maybe you have the academic goal. You're going uh, after some academic achievement. Um, maybe it's a professional goal for you. Uh, you want to be known as like the, the best in the business. Uh, maybe that's you. Maybe it's a financial goal. When I meet this uh, level, I'll have made it to where I feel comfortable and I feel like, okay, I got that. Uh, what achievements, financial achievements do you have? This is one that I think many of us as parents can get. And this is one that I know is, is in my life. You know, I want my family, I want to have these relational goals. Like I want to have a, my family feels like an accomplishment. It's one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me as my kids kids and my wife. And, and I want that to just be like thriving and great. And so, man, the best thing I ever did was marry my wife and have some kids with her. And man, it is like, it's so cool. You hold that baby and you go, this is the coolest thing I've ever done, you know? And, and we, can, we can have our accomplishments there. So what is the greatest accomplishment in your life? Just thinking about what that is. Have you ever considered that maybe we've been working for something in a different area of life. You know, all those areas are good and, and they can be fun. And, and sometimes those goals can be, you know, they can be great accomplishments in our life. But what do you think about this? Spiritual achievements. Have you ever considered the fact that maybe we're working for some spiritual achievements in life? Have you ever found yourself doing that? I know I have. I grew up in a church when I was younger and in that church, we had like a star chart. Any millennials uh, have a star chart in their Sunday school classroom? Uh, I know I did, and uh, maybe you have to be a little older. I don't know. Maybe I went to an old school church. Uh, it's cool. Um, but if you had a star chart, you got to go in, and if you memorize the Bible verse from the week before, you get a star on the chart. And every week you go back, and, get, and it was like, it was awesome. You know, I'd go, and I'd memorize. I'd spend this time, and I'd memorize, and I'd get another star on the chart. And, and I want to use that as an example, not to say it's a bad thing or a good thing, but in my life, I was looking for spiritual achievements in many ways. I was looking for myself to be able to produce something that could please God. And that's not a bad heart. And we're going to talk about what actually some things that are good that actually please God in our lives, but it's not necessarily the star chart. It's not necessarily the thing that God is looking for, for us to have perfect church attendance or serve in every single ministry or give a certain amount to the church. None of that is what God is after. What God is after is our hearts. But spiritual achievement is a real battle in our lives. Spiritual achievement leads us to think in certain ways, and it leads us to the man we're going to be talking about today. He asked a question that all of us, I believe, are asking. When we go and our life ends and we go to heaven, we stand before God, will we ask this question? Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Let me be very clear. Every religious system that I have ever heard of has asked this question. It's trying to answer that question. Does the good I do outweigh the bad I do? But I need to be very clear with you because that is not the message of the Bible. It's not the message of Jesus. Did I do enough? Is kind of the wrong question, but it's the question we ask all the time. You see, every religion in the world is seeking to 
answer that question, did I do enough, except one. The Christian faith is categorically different. Christ set up something totally different because the tenets of the Christian faith, they say that you cannot do enough. You can't. But please hear this. The tenets of the Christian faith say that it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. And that should give you hope today because if you've been trying to live your life to do enough to outweigh the bad or bad things have happened to you, you need to hear this, that God loves you. He wants to see you as a prodigal come home. He wants to have a relationship with you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. There's false teaching all over the place, even in the church sometimes. And we have to be very careful that we get this order correct. In every part of our theology, church, we must be saved by grace through faith. And out of that faith, we begin to see that God's spirit will do things in and through us that we cannot do on our own. He will bring healing in your life where you need healing. He will bring out the good in you that you don't even know you can do yet. That's what God does. But it starts with us saying, I can't do it. God can. We're going to talk about that more in depth. But if you found yourself asking this question, did I do enough? Today's for you. Because there's a man in, the, in scripture who asked Jesus, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And we need to pay attention to the one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has with him. So would you get out your Bibles? We're going to turn to Mark 10. Mark 10, if you have your uh, notes in front of you through the app, it's really easy to get to. But uh, I prefer my paper Bible because you can mark it up. Um, but you can take notes in the app too, uh, so, which is really neat. Um, there's also some really great uh, scriptures that come later on that I probably won't have time for, but if I hurry, maybe I'll get to them. Uh, but you can always look at them. They're in your notes so that you can uh, study them for yourself. So as you're turning, Mark 10, starting in verse 17, we're going to read about the rich young ruler. Here's what it says, starting in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Did I do enough? 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, this is the ruler talking now, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus said to him, or Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, don't miss that. He looked at him, loved him, and he said to him, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 23, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. Love that. And he said to him, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. But with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Would you bow your heads wherever you're at? Let's pray that God would open our eyes to see what he wants us to see today. Lord, would you soften our hearts today? As we read your word and we seek to apply it to our lives, we want to earnestly seek you just like this, this man does in scripture. He comes to Jesus. He falls on his knees, earnestly seeking, did I do enough? And Jesus offers him a relationship. Help us to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today, we're looking at these two conversations in Mark 10. See, Jesus has a conversation with the ruler. Jesus and the ruler is one conversation. And then he turns to his disciples and has another conversation that's more in depth and gives us something that we really need to lean into. Uh, And he has a a second conversation with Jesus and his disciples. And so there's two conversations here that we need to look at. As we begin with the Jesus and the ruler, we might be asking this question and we get the answer. Who is the rich young ruler? Who is this guy? Because the first thing we see from him is that he runs up and he kneels before God out of nowhere. We haven't seen him before in the narrative. And so we're looking at this time and, and, and he comes and he kneels before God. and He ran up to him. He's, he's earnest and he's eager. But we also learn that he's a religious achiever. He's put a lot of achievement in spiritual things. He, he's done all of the law. He says, I've done all these things. The commandments that you mentioned, Jesus, I've done them all from the time I was young. He was the star chart kid, you know, all right? So he did it. Um, He had memorized the things. He had gone to the temple every week. We also learned that he was a leader in business, which probably actually meant that he was a leader in the temple. Um, A lot of business and and culture in in that culture, a lot of the business was wrapped around uh, temple worship. And so he was a part of that, uh, very successful in it, which as, as a young person being successful, it means success came pretty quickly. It wasn't a quick thing that happened often. Uh, it was something that he uh, must have been dedicated. He was hardworking. Uh, and of course, we, we need to remember that he did come to Jesus earnestly. He came to Jesus seriously and humble. I find it fascinating that he also, he, he recognized who Jesus is. Don't miss that. Because when he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When he says, good teacher, every rabbi in that era would have said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. That's no, no, you can't say that. And Jesus actually does that, but he doesn't correct him. Look at what Jesus says. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He's saying, do you really know what you're saying? Do you really get it? And I think I think he had probably heard of Jesus. That's why he runs up and he says, what do I have to do? You're bringing words that we don't understand or know. We're seeing signs and wonders that we don't understand or know how it could happen without God. And so we know you're from God. So many religious leaders had said that. And so he comes and he recognized who Jesus is. Pause for just a second. Do you realize that in the last three weeks, every person 
that we've talked about had a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, realized who he was. I just think that's fascinating that these really intimate conversations happen when we realize who Jesus actually is, that he's the Messiah, the chosen one, the sent one from God. He's called that every single time. I didn't realize that actually until Doug said it last week and I was like, that's every one of these guys. So pretty cool that how that changes the conversation. I've been thinking about this. This guy would have been great disciple number 13. Think about it, all right? All right, he knows the law really well. He knows he's done all the stuff. On paper, this guy is like number one candidate Hiram today, right? Why doesn't Jesus do it? We find out why. As we read, there's something in the way. But when you look at it, you think, man, this guy, he's done all the stuff. And man, he could answer some of the ministry's financial things. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of dough behind him. I wonder if, I wonder if sometimes we look at what religious stuff we should do on paper more than we look at what Jesus looks like, what Jesus looks for, because Jesus looks past what the paper would say, and he looks at the heart. He asks the question we all want to ask. The rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Did I do enough? I mean, I'm a little nervous about this today because I think I've grown up my entire life going, this question is just an automatic, but it's not always for all of us. And I think in our culture sometimes and in the world, there's all these viewpoints and we try and just take things that we like to hear and we need to let the Bible speak into our lives to help us understand that there is a life that comes after death. And not everyone accepts that. And so if you're sitting here today and go, I'm not even asking this question, or you're watching online going, I'm not even asking this question right now, just know that there is a life after death, that throughout generations, people have been seeking the answer for this. Every world religion has been seeking the answer, how do we get eternal life? If you don't believe there's eternal life, the Bible is really clear, and we believe the Bible says that there is a life eternal, and you spend it in one of two places. You spend it in paradise with Jesus because of what he did, not because of what you do. Or if you reject him, you spend it in eternity, in hell, in torment, separated from God. And if that is true, I want to ask you, to consider what we're talking about today. Because if you're struggling with, is this even a valid question? Maybe consider that the truths of Christianity have satisfied the greatest minds in human history. That's something I believe. You can Google some of the most famous uh, Christians out there. But what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you're not asking that question, I challenge you to ask it. Every religious system is trying to answer this question. It's interesting that Jesus cuts straight to the point. He lists the law out. The statutes of God are a good thing, friends. But, but Jesus cuts through all of it. 
This man had done all the things. Jesus knew that. Jesus looked right at him and he loved him. I, I just imagine having this conversation with Jesus where I get to sit down and he looks at me and I know I see the love in his eyes. He wants what's best for me. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? And then they tell you something that you don't want to hear. That is exactly what happens to the rich young ruler. And it's exactly what we need to happen in our lives. If we want to truly follow God and surrender everything, we have to be willing to know that Jesus is going to call us to do some things that maybe make us uncomfortable, but they will call us into a deeper relationship with him where we have to trust him more and more. That's what Jesus does. He says, you lack one thing. To the rich young ruler, I just, you lack one thing. Go and sell all of your stuff. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. So Jesus says to him, what an interesting thing to say because it's both a challenge and an invitation. It's a challenge to do something that makes the rich young ruler uncomfortable right now so that he can have a greater trust and faith in Jesus in all the days to come. He's challenging him, again, to do something that makes him uncomfortable so that in the future, every day following, he'll have greater trust and faith in Jesus. Jesus says, drop all of your trust in yourself, trust in all of these things that you have. He had a lot of stuff and he was putting all of his trust into those things. And it might not have been all of his trust. It was just a lot of his trust because he couldn't walk away from it. We know the end as he walks away sad. Jesus says, burn the ships. Look up that story. Just Google it. There's a cool story about that. Put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus. Total trust in him. You can't have a secondary plan for eternal life. You can't pick and choose. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't say, okay, here's this religious system over here. I can take these little things over here and this, I really like this. Jesus says, no, none of the things that you're trusting in other than a relationship with me. That's what he's calling him to. The second part of the conversation here, he, he, he turns to the disciples and he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than, a rich, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now let's pause for a second because we live in a very, very affluent country. We live very comfortable lives. So I don't want us to mishear this and we need to take all of scripture into account, but God will call you to do something uncomfortable when you read his word and you surrender to him. The teaching here, I want to read what James Brooks says in the New American Commentary on Mark. He says this, the entire section emphasizes that riches make being a disciple difficult. But the rewards of discipleship are worth more than material possessions. Jesus did not teach that wealth is evil. He did not teach that poverty is better than riches. He did not teach that only the poor can be saved. He did teach that discipleship is costly and that wealth often is a hindrance to repentance and acceptance of the gospel. 
Friends, we need to take a good hard look at how much trust we put into money because we could be a room full and a church full of rich young rulers if we put more of our trust in our bank accounts and in things that God has gifted us to steward than than what we put trust in him. The true follower of Jesus will not just consider spiritual ideas, but actively surrender all and walk with him. That is the big idea of what Jesus is trying to get this guy to do and what he wants for us. See, if we're gonna be a real follower of God, if we're gonna walk with his spirit, we, we can't just think about the spiritual things. Like, oh, that's a nice thought. I'm gonna do We have to do something with it. Oh, we have to. We, we, we have to surrender our stuff. I mean, if I put all my, my trust in my finances, like the rich young ruler, this, the fact that I have a cool iPhone that costs a thousand some dollars, what the heck? Like, it's expensive, but I just throw it around, right? Like, we have so much, and I depend so much on these conveniences and so much on how well everything's put together in my life. And it's not just about money, but money's a big deal for this rich young ruler, and it may be for us. So I want to ask you this question. What in your life creates false security? We need to ask this because it may not be money for you. It, It may not. It was for the rich young ruler, and we know that it's not just about money here, but there's a false security that the rich young ruler puts into his finances and into his stuff. I've got all this stuff, so I'm okay. I've got this amount in my bank account, so I'm okay. I can go buy this, so I'm okay. What does that in your life? There may be a few things. Here's a few things that I thought of um, just this week. Obviously, there's money, but, but health. For some reason this week, I've just had some weird health stuff. Now, I'm not going to tell you any more about it than that because I don't need like 4,000 doctors. Um, but I know I've walked through this with uh, many of you, actually, and many of our pastors have, and many of you have gone through some really challenging, difficult health issues. And when your health is in a moment snatched away from you, it is, it's amazing how shaken you can be. Is health creating a false security in your life? What about this? This one I know is true of me, relationships. I mean, if all my relationships feel good, I'm a people pleaser by nature. And I just, I, I love when everyone's in harmony. It's one of my strength finders things, you know, it's my top five. And I'm like, man, the people who got that laughed, it's good. All right. But I love when people are like, hey, we're good. But when there's tension, my life feels like it's in turmoil. And I've had to surrender some things to God in the last few weeks and months and years, actually, that God's been working on me to say, God, I can't please everyone, but I'm seeking to please you. Help me to do that more and more. But I can put so much of my security and I'm okay in all my relationships are feeling good right now. Sometimes, like we've said before, we can put our security in spiritual achievements. 
What a shame it would be for us to have all the stars on the chart, to have perfect church attendance and not have a relationship with Jesus. But you can put your trust in all kinds of things. You can do it with drugs. You can do it with sex. You can do it with caffeine. There's lots of stuff that you can put your security in. Can I challenge you today that God may be wanting you to exchange what you're putting your security in for something even better? Because I firmly believe Jesus is going to challenge us in a one-on-one relationship with him to do something that makes us uncomfortable right now so that we can have a greater trust in him and faith in him for every day for the rest of our lives. If God's calling you to do that, don't walk away sad. If you're struggling with it, ask God for strength. Get some people around you in a small group to go, yeah, let's do this together. Hold me accountable to this. I need to stop putting my trust in these things that are over here that are not going to make me get to the actual goal of a relationship with Jesus and eternal life with him. So I want to ask you this. What if God challenged you to exchange something? I'm going to list five things that I believe are actually in this story of uh, the rich young ruler that he may have had to um, that he may have had to uh, surrender and exchange. The first one, financial security. We've already talked at length about this, but I want you to ask yourself, and I want to be clear on this because I think this is something all of us in our culture need to think about. Ask yourself, where does financial, financial security and planning and budgeting meet with living in faith-filled dependence on God? Where does I've got a budget and I've got savings away so that if something happens, I can cover it, meet with I'm going to live in full-on faith-filled dependence on God alone? Really, biblical wisdom is balancing those two things, okay? So that's in your notes. It's something I'm going to be thinking about for a long time, and, um, and I think we need to wrestle with for uh, each day in our lives. Honestly, it's, it's got to be something that we come back to a lot. So uh, what if God challenged you to exchange financial security? That's one. Here's another one. What if God challenged you to exchange safety? We live in a very safe society, I can't think of a single time, unless I'm being a little overdramatic, honestly, <laughs> that my life has ever been in danger, like actual danger. That might not be your story, but it's definitely mine. But there are many examples of God calling his followers to places that are not safe. In fact, many, many of them are not safe. In fact, all of the early disciples were killed for what they said. Martyrs are a real thing. People really die because they believe what this book says about God and what it says about them. So is God calling you to exchange safety? Maybe doing that. Is God, what if God call, challenged you to exchange convenience? What if following God wasn't convenient? Can I argue that it's not? I mean, so much in my life is about convenience. I mean, I can get on my phone and a few taps, like, 
have stuff delivered to my house by tomorrow, right? I don't even have to go to the store. (laughs) But here's the thing. Every time Jesus called someone, it made them a little uncomfortable. They had to leave something that they were comfortable in and trust him in the future. The deeper things of God, if we want to have a deep relationship with Jesus, it's not going to be found in just an hour of reading, his Bi- reading the Bible and singing some songs together at church. Seek him daily. Seek him every hour. You need him. You need him. And that isn't convenient. It's way more convenient to just, I got myself, I'm good. We must die to our self-trust, friends. What if God challenged you to exchange popularity? You know, the gospel message, actually not a super popular thing to believe in. Um, Jesus calls us to live in a way that's actually not very popular. It's actually pretty polarizing to believe in God. Scripture actually says it'll be the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. So God might challenge you to exchange popularity. What if God challenged you to exchange worldly success? I mean, when you start living for Jesus, there will be people in your life that will go, you're really going to do what with your money? Give it to the poor? Really? What What are you doing? There will be people that won't get it when you really follow Jesus. It brings me to uh, another rich young ruler. You've probably heard of him. His name's Paul. And he says this. Turn, if, you, if you can, turn to Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Keep your finger in the, the other verses because you want to be looking at those too. But Philippians 3, 4 through 11, Paul says this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul, he had it all. He had the popularity, worldly success. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had done it. He had done all of it. He'd done what he was supposed to do for everyone. Everyone loved him. He says this in verse seven, look at this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I had suffered the loss of all things. He says this, and I count them as rubbish, a lot of translations say as, as dung, which my daughter loves, um, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was a rich young ruler who understood what it took to have everlasting life. What does it take? The one rich young ruler asked the question, 
and walks away from the relationship that was the answer. Paul accepted Jesus. He accepted grace through faith in him alone. He says, I count everything as lost. It's rubbish. So Jesus is calling to you in a one-on-one conversation. Just have a relationship with me. Come follow me. Leave everything else behind. Surrender it all. The Bible says that there are specific ways we please God. We've made long, long, long lists of come to church, give this much, do all of these things. And it's not that those things are bad. They can help us understand who, who we are supposed to be and can help our faith grow. But what if the list of how we please God was very short? God is pleased when we have faith. There's some scriptures that are in your notes. I want you to spend time with them this week. Look at Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 10 this week. Uh, spend some time there. If you're looking for uh, some things to, to just grow in your faith, read Hebrews 11, seriously. God is pleased when we have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God is pleased when we turn from sin. We can't be walking with God and walking in sin at the same time. Scripture is so clear about this. I want you to check out Romans 8, 6 through 8 this week. Spend some time in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, it's so important to realize that we must turn from our sin. And when we turn from our sin, we turn towards God. If you feel like you're trapped in it, know that God is with you. God's not going to let you, God's not gonna let you fight those battles by yourself. That's why he gave you the church. God is pleased when we love him. When we love him, so clear. Um, actually, in Mark 12, just a, a page later, um, Jesus says, is asked what the greatest commandment is by another religious ruler. And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, which leads us to the last one. God is pleased when we love people. If you look at Galatians 5, um, it actually uh, says this really, really well. It says, uh, Galatians 5, 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, go find the people that are, that are in prison and, and, and they're, they're naked, the least of these. It's weird to find naked people, but he says, clothe them. You find somebody that's hungry, give them food, you know? And we need to live our lives inconvenienced, feeding hungry people, and clothing naked people. That's how God is pleased in our lives. I want to go back to one thing here. The true follower of Jesus will not just consider spiritual ideas, but actively surrender all and walk with him. I want to challenge you, but I also want to invite you. Because what if the challenge is really just an invitation? It's both, because some of this that we talked about today is very challenging. To surrender everything I find security in and believe in Jesus that he will carry me through, oh, that's hard. 
It's an invitation into relationship. See, he will help you turn from sin. He will help you love God and love people with all your heart. But we can't just think about it. Would you, if you're at all of our campuses and online and right here, would you just hold your hands out in front of you like this, like you're holding on to something? Just hold, hold it out in front of you. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and just have a, a one-on-one conversation with God and ask him, Lord, what's in these hands that I'm holding on to and finding my security in today? Just like the rich young ruler was doing. What are the things that, that I need to let go of? And as I pray in a moment, I want you, as you're asking God what that is, to think of those things and say, God, I'm releasing them to you. If you've got the kind of faith to do that, let this moment be a moment where you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust in God. He's calling me into some faithful, active way of surrender. And this moment is a symbol, God, before you, not before anyone else. No one's looking around. It's a moment that I'm going to say, I trust in you, Jesus. I surrender all to you. And Jesus will accept you. His arms are open wider than we could ever imagine. He doesn't need you, but he does want you. He didn't need the rich young ruler's money. He doesn't need yours, but he wants you. Lord, I lift up to you every person who has closed fists right now who's holding on to something that they've been putting trust in and finding false security in. God, and we know that these things will not last. But Lord, you are the everlasting God. The one who accepts the brokenhearted. Even those of us who don't have any of it together. But we're holding on to things. Lord, would you help us to release them to you? To surrender all to you, God so that we might enter into this relationship with you and walk with you every day. I pray for strength for all my friends to do that. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen.